0: The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. Josh mentioned my book 10. I, I'm going to minister a, out of a chapter out of that book uh, this morning, and The reason that I wrote this book, I want to give you a little history of this, Uh, we we are a church that is 29 years old, so we've been around for a little while. Uh, We have three campuses, and we have the unique thing about our church is we have 146 different nationalities in our church. Uh, We are the most multicultural church in America. Uh, God did something very special in Atlanta. It would be hard to do that here in Oklahoma City. You know, you don't have all the internationals necessarily moving to Oklahoma City, but in Atlanta, it's a very multicultural, multi-ethnic city with a history of division, a history of segregation and slavery and so forth. So God sent us there for that purpose, but in the process uh, of building this church, we recognized that there is a key element that we felt was missing in the modern day church, particularly in the American church. And that was turning people from believers in Jesus to fully committed disciples of Jesus. And there's a huge difference between a believer in Jesus and a disciple of Jesus. And what we discovered in the church today is there are a lot of churches in America that are getting people into the church and making them believe in Jesus. Helping them to become followers of Jesus. But how many of you know when you become a follower of Jesus, there's a lot more to it than just following Jesus. It's learning to live a disciplined life. What are we trying to do as a church make disciples. He doesn't search, and the thing is where what Jesus, he said, go and make disciples. And how many of you know making disciples is a whole lot different than making believers? And you don't change the world with believers. You change the world with disciples. And there was something about the 12 disciples of Jesus that God so transformed that once Jesus left the earth, they created a ministry that now we are here almost 2,000 years on the other side of that ministry with almost a billion people following Jesus as a result of those 12 disciples. So you can see that you, don't, you, you can change a community, you can change a city if you're becoming disciples. And if this church really is becoming disciples of Jesus, then uh, Oklahoma City will be transformed. You can transform the city out of a church. Amen? So uh, let's begin with a word of prayer. I just want to start. Father, we thank you for the next few moments together. We just ask you to help us. Uh, to really understand what it means to truly be a disciple of Jesus. And my main thought today, God, is how how do we come to know what is our purpose? What is the purpose of our life here in the earth? And I just pray for everyone that's here and those who are yet to come, that, God, you begin to open our hearts to receive this word in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. All right, so there's three... Major questions that you have to answer as a follower of Jesus. When you start this journey with Jesus, there's three major questions that you have to answer before you really can go any further. The number one question is the question of existence why am I alive? Why am I here on this earth? The second question is the question of significance does my life really matter? Does it really matter? that I live here, that does it really matter that I'm going through life at all? And then the, the third question is the question of attention, and that is the, the, the question of what is my purpose? Of all the questions that we answer in life, the purpose question is the big question. And I think that uh, when you see the Bible, when you read the Bible, the separating factor between believers and disciples his disciples have answered that question. They, they know why they're here. They know that they are significant. And they know that there's an intentional purpose that God created them for in the earth. In fact, when you start going through these questions, you begin to realize that the greatest tragedy, Miles Moreau said, the greatest tragedy in life is basically not, li- not missing out on your life at, at all, but just not knowing why you're here, not knowing what your purpose is if you don't know what your purpose is, you'll wander. You'll wander aimlessly. And this was the trouble with the Israelites when they got out into the desert. Their purpose was to ultimately go to the promised land, but they kind of lost their way. And even though they were followers of what they would consider their Messiah, Moses, they eventually lost their direction. They lost their purpose in their circumstances, the circumstances of life. And that's what happens to us. As soon as we come into life, uh, the, the first thing that Satan tries to do is to make sure that we don't discover that Jesus is who he says he is. So if he can keep us from discovering Jesus, we'll never discover our purpose. But if we find Jesus, if somewhere along the way we connect our life with Jesus, then his next thing is to create so much circumstance in our life that we're so focused on fixing problems and solving circumstances and looking at our, our things that we're dealing with in daily life that we lose the intention of why God put us here on the earth. So I did a message back years ago in this book about living on purpose, and I started asking these questions like, why am I alive? And here's what the Bible says. It kind of answers this, Proverbs sixteen four: the Lord has made everything for his own purposes. in other words, I'm alive to fulfill God's purpose. I'm alive to fulfill God's purpose. Let's say that together. I'm alive to fulfill God's purpose. Now now his purpose is not necessarily what we choose in life. A lot of times we choose our purpose. We choose our way, our desire. and this is important because a lot of times, When we start to choose our way, we don't know the difference between our way and God's way, and this is where it it starts shifting from believer to disciple. The second question is, does my life really matter? Does my life really matter? Everyone lives on one of three levels of life. These are the three levels. The the first level is the survival level, and this is the majority, I would say, at least four-fifths of the world lives at this level, where you're just trying to survive, you're trying to figure out how you're going to make it from day to day, pay your bills, get, get, get from one step to the next. You're just surviving in life. The second level is what most people consider the highest level, and that's the success level. That's where you've achieved success at some point in your life where you have enough resources to live a little better life than the average person. And most people feel like that's the pinnacle. I'm finally in what I uh, where I'm succeeding, I'm making money, I'm doing life, but they don't understand that there's a third level, which is the significance level. And the significance level is a little different than the success level. In other words, you're now living life more for the meaning of God in your life than you are just for your personal success. I wrote this down several years ago that there's a difference between success and significance. Success asks this question: How can I add value to myself? Significance asks the question, How can I add value to others? It's huge. Success says, If I pursue success, my joy will be the result of my success. But if I pursue significance, my joy is the result of others' success. See the difference? Success can last a lifetime, significance can last for eternity. So, what you want to do is you want to shift from success to significance. You want to live your life. For a little bit more than just your own personal achievements in life. And I think this is a big shift that has to take place if you're going to become a disciple for Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right. So once you start going down that road, then you start moving from a believer to a disciple. And then you ask the question, what is my purpose? Dr. Miles Monroe said, there's something for you to start that's ordained for you to finish. From the moment that you discover Christ, God begins to unveil to you that there's something for you to do specifically, you and your own uniqueness to do that has an ordained purpose to it that you have to finish it before you die, before you physically die in the earth. Amen? And years ago, I wrote this down. I said, you cannot help others define life until you define it for yourself. You can't help other people figure out their life until you've figured out your life. And a lot of times people are working towards helping others, but they haven't defined their own significant purpose, all right? So how do we, how do we discover our purpose? When I uh, started pastoring, the number one question that I hear from the younger generation is, what is my purpose? How do I figure out what God's will is for my life? so I sat down and I thought through when I started my journey with Jesus, I was 22. I had a, a, a sort of a miraculous conversion. I, uh, some people had been witnessing to me, but I was really rebellious. I was one of those uh, people that was the least likely to ever get saved. Anybody in here like that? Where you lived a life that was complete debauchery. I went to the University of Georgia, which is God's college, by the way. I just have all you Oklahoma Sooners fans. Um, By the way, we beat you last year, remember? (laughs) Just thought I'd throw that in there. But anyway, um, I I was on a journey of destruction. I should have died probably four or five times in my teens and and 20s. And, And yet, God still had his purpose for my life, even though I was completely rebelling against God. When I got saved at 22... I made a decision that as as much as I was going going after sin in my life, I was going to go after God. I was going to take all my zeal for sin sin and just turn it and and make it go after God. And so I sold my business, I moved to a small uh, church in Richmond, Virginia that had about fifty people, and Colleen and I just met. We started dating. She she I led her to the Lord on our first date. uh, Missionary dating. We got saved. She got saved on our first date. She came out of the Catholic Church. I came out of the Baptist Church. Neither one of them led us to the Lord, but we, now we're saved. We're going after God, and we started on our journey. What is your will for my life, God? What is your purpose for my life? And here's the stages that we had to go through, and this will help you because you'll find yourself in one of these stages. The first step towards purpose is you have to begin with a cross experience. Now, what do I mean by a cross experience? All right, go back in the Bible and think about the days of Jesus, when Jesus was on the earth, and Jesus is preaching and teaching and healing and doing all kinds of things that are multiplying the crowds, and the crowds are building. And this is something I had to really get down in my heart and understand about Jesus, because if we were thinking about how to build a church, the way Jesus did it would be completely the opposite of the way we do it in America, because Jesus, when he started to build the crowds, the crowds would come, especially when he was feeding them fish and chips, and they started following him, in this large crowd of people, thousands of people are following Jesus, and he turns to them, and he makes this statement to them. And here's, here's, here's what he says in Luke chapter 9, in verse 23. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for, my, for, for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit, forfeit their very self? All right, so what is he saying? He's saying, all right, guys, I know you, you, you're following me. I'm, I'm blessing you. You're getting all these benefits. You're following me for the benefits. But that's not what a disciple does. A disciple doesn't follow Jesus for the benefits. But, now let me correct, let me just kind of get you to understand that. In America, we market the benefits. We market the benefits to get people to come to church. We market the benefits of how good God is, what he's done for us, all the beauty of God, the hope of God, we, you know, God's best days are yet to come for you, and, and God's going to do this for you, and God's going to do that for you, and he's going to bless you and so forth. And yet Jesus did exactly the opposite. He thinned the crowd out with these words. When he made these statements, they said, we can follow you no more. This is a hard saying. All right, then he says another thing in the book of Luke, in chapter 14. Here's what he says. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and his mother, now check this out. These are the words of Jesus. I didn't say these. Wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also, he cannot, everybody say cannot, he cannot be my disciple. Y'all all all right out there? Y'all all all right out there at New Song? This is not how you build a church. This is not how you attract people to come to church. Are you following me? See, the thing that a lot of people don't recognize about Jesus, and this is why you see so many people answer altar calls and you never see them again. They come to Christ, they give their hearts to Jesus, but then what happened to them is somewhere along the journey they found out that there's some things in the Bible that call for them to change, to sacrifice, to to lay down. And they didn't recognize that on the front end of their conversion experience. And so what ended up happening is they had a head conversion, but not a heart conversion. And there are literally thousands upon thousands upon thousands of head conversions for Jesus, but they've never had a full heart conversion for Jesus. They've never understood the cross experience where suddenly God asks something of them that yes salvation is free you don't work for your salvation but once you give your heart to Jesus it costs you everything it costs you everything and this is what caused most of the followers of Jesus to follow him no more I mean, think about how ironic it is that the Savior of the world, God incarnate in the flesh, on the earth, performing miracles and signs before their very eyes, multiplying loaves and fishes, raising dead people, and yet at the end of His journey on the earth, only about 120 people were still following Him. The crowds had thinned. There was no mega church. Did y'all all right? And it wasn't until... The disciples got that message, that the message is you have to first be broken by the cross. You have a cross experience. Now let me ask you a question. Have you had a cross experience? Have you ever had a true come to Jesus cross experience? So he would go on to say this. He says, for which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost? Whether he has enough to finish it lest after he's laid the foundation and is not able to finish. All who see it begin to mock him saying this man began to build and was not able to finish. How many Christians do you see like that? They start to build their life with Christ but they don't count the cost. And as soon as they start to really find out what the Bible says they turn back. As soon as they start finding out there's a conflict between what they want to do and what God has called them to do. They turn around and go back to their comfort place of what they want to do. He says, then the man began to build was not able to finish, or what king going to make war, now this is a word to pastors right here, what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with the 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000, or else while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. The Lord said this to me. He said, you cannot transform a city with believers. You've got to raise up disciples or else the, however many people you have in your church will not be able to face the world that's coming against the church. So what will happen is if you don't raise up disciples, you'll make conditions of peace by watering down the gospel so that people will feel accommodating to come to your church and they will accommodate and you'll have to change what the actual Bible says to make people feel better about themselves so that you can build a crowd and feel better about yourself. Are you all, all right out there? And I realized that that is exactly what's happened in America. Now you would say, "Well, you're, pray, you're preaching this, but you know, what kind of church do you have? We have a big church. We have sixteen thousand people in our church. We don't have a little church. But of those sixteen thousand people, they're not all disciples. They're not all disciples. They're all in different levels of journey with God. Some of them are just starting. Some of them haven't counted the cost. Some of them are all in. They're going after God. And we go through people. Some people stay. Some people leave." And we just made a decision, okay, God, we're never going to shape the church after the world. We're going to make the world understand that this church is shaped after your will. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, even if it costs us thousands of people. Amen? All right, so the crossroads is simply this. It's simply this. It's where you and your will, can we put the cross up here? Where you and your will cross with God's will, and you have to make a choice in a crossroad experience. Which roads you're going to go down? Am I going to go my way, or am I going to go God's way? All right. Now let me let me explain something to you. The later you come to Christ, the more difficult it is, because the later you come to Christ, the more you've been going down a road that's your will. And once you get down that road a ways. It's hard for you to ever think of going back and going down a different road. Now, fortunately, I got saved at 22, so I had just started down my road. I had my business. I was going to be a millionaire. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to be successful. That's what I'd always been raised to do. That's what the world had trained me to do. And the Lord said, no, even though you have the ability to do that and you can do that, I've called you to do something else which requires you to give up your business give up that road, and get on a different road. And I went to work for a church for $12,000 a year instead of making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. That was my crossroad. Everybody has a different crossroad. Now, I think back, what would have happened if I decided, well, God, that can't be your will. You want me to be successful. You want me to have lots of stuff. You're in America. It's all about stuff things being successful showing people how great you are and how wonderful a business person you are and yet the lord had me on a path that had i had no clue what was at the end of that path other than this is your will this is god's will for your life now here's what i know once you get on the right road eventually your life will move from success to significance the question, though, is are you willing to give up your road? Are you willing to give up what you want and adopt what God wants? Amen? All right, so the first thing is the cross experience. Second thing is you got to realize purpose is revealed through faithfulness. Now, this, this was our journey. We, we went to a church that had 50 people in it. Uh, by the way, let me just say this about this church. I don't know if you realize this or not, because you're, you're in this church, and, and maybe you don't realize how significant this church is and will be. Uh, we've just come to know your pastors, Josh and Sarah, but I've been, I, I, a lot of boards go to a lot of churches in different sizes. Some are mega churches, some are small, some are just starting, but I, can, I have a, a gift to recognize leadership and i have a gift to recognize the abilities of people that are going to do something significant and you're in one of those churches Amen. i just want you to know that you're in one of those churches you're at some point you're going to see some significant. it's hard to imagine it right now in the noah's event center but there's coming a day where you'll own land you'll have a building you'll be reaching the city of oklahoma you'll look back and you'll if you're here at the beginning you'll you'll thank god that you were here at the starting point point. Of this church. If you can grow a church in Noah's Event Center out in the middle of nowhere, you can grow a church anywhere. <laughs> come on, I'm just telling you right now, this is not a drive by church. There's nobody driving by here and deciding to go to church. <laughs> they had to come here because you invited them here. Amen? And so that's a significant thing. And just knowing your pastors, there's, there's, a, there's a, an anointing on them. That has nothing to do with how educated they are or what school they went to or any of those kinds of things. And that's the same way it is with me and Colleen. It's the same way with the 12 disciples of Jesus as they were unlearned and ignorant people. That God turned into dynamic, life-changing people. And you happen to have two pastors that are like that. So I think you ought to thank God for that. It's very significant. Very significant. And the reason that they're in this state is the the second principle is faithfulness. Can you be faithful in small things? Can you be faithful in small things? When I was reading through the Bible, one of the life verses that stood out to me was Luke chapter 16. And Jesus is talking specifically about money. And I know that's, that's a, that's a you know, dicey subject in the church. But it is the most talked about subject in the Bible. I don't know if you know that or not. 2,250 verses on money. Nothing even comes close to it. It's the number one competitor for our hearts. It's the last thing we give to God, and it's the first thing we take away when we fall away from God. It's, it's, it's the number one competitor for God. That's why God says you can't serve God and money. You can't serve both of them. You have to make a choice which one you're going to serve. Money is the thing that drives most people's lives. It controls most people's lives. Most people are controlled by how much or how little they have. Their worries, their fears, their anxieties, marital problems pr- predominantly start with money problems. And, and you just go down the list. So you got to master money at some point. But money is just a part of this equation that I'm going to talk to you about because it's, it's not just about money. He says in Luke 16, If you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things... You won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, so then he talks about money, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? Now, basically, he says something very important. He says, basically, how you handle money determines how you handle life. How are you doing with that? How you handle money determines how you handle life. And so... He starts off by talking about that because he knows money is at the very heart of most of our lives. As soon as I got a hold of that scripture, I realized okay, am I a tither in the church? Do I give 10% of everything that I'm prospered by? Faithful, am I faithful? That's the starting point of giving, is tithing. So let me ask, how are you, how are you doing with that? Are you tithing? Are you tithing the first 10% of all you? Some people come to church, they, they, they hear about tithing, but then they go, well, I can't quite do that yet. What do you mean you can't quite do that yet? What do we mean? That's just the very beginning stages of giving. Tithing is, the, is elementary school for giving. It's the starting point, and yet they say in America, 14% of the church tithes faithfully. 14%. They get a lot done with 14%. Amen. But what would happen if a whole church tithed? Everybody tithed to the church. Now, you know I don't have any gain from you tithing, you know, so it doesn't matter to me specifically. I'm not... Taking up an offering from from myself or anything like that, I'm not giving you a, you know, give money to get money, you know, sow your seed to meet your greed. I'm not I'm not here to teach you that message. I'm I'm just here to teach you about faithfulness. When a whole church ties, you never have any lack of finances, no matter what size that church is. It all it can buy land, it can build buildings, it can do missions, it can help the poor, it can do all kinds of crazy things. We. We started when we started our church in 1990. We had five, six people in our church. Three months later, we still had six people, and uh, it took us a whole year to get to 100 people. It took us five years to get to 500 people. We, we weren't as big as you are now at five years, and but, what, but we were faithful. And so at, at the end of each year, we would just sow faithfully uh, our resources that we had into missions and to helping the needy. And we just trusted God. Now we're 29 years on the other side of that, that faithfulness. Now check this out. I don't say this to, to brag about our church. I brag about our people because they're so wonderful in giving. But, but last year we celebrated our uh, 28th anniversary and, and, and we we sown over $60 million into missions. $60 million into missions. Now you don't get the $60 million unless you're faithful with just a little bit first. Does that make sense? If you want to be a church that does something where you're building hospitals, you're rescuing human trafficking victims, you're, you're, you know, you're building orphanages, you're, you're, bu- you're helping other churches get started, you're able to do all those kinds of things. To get there, you have to start with what you have. And it's the same way with everything. It's like, are you faithful to show up for your volunteer service and children's ministry? Are you faithful in your job? Are you faithful in your marriage? Are you faithful in all these different little things? Are you faithful to read the Word? Are you faithful to pray? As you're faithful over small things, then God adds more to your life. But why would God add more if He can't trust you with the little that you have? Amen. Amen. All right, so that's the, third, the second principle. The third principle is purpose is conceived through a holy discontent. A holy discontent. Now, what does that mean? If you look at America right now, America is filled with people who are having holy discontent, not holy discontent, but just discontent about things in America. You know, you look at Black Lives Matter, gun control laws, anything that's out there, immigration, all these different issues where you have large groups of people rallying against a purpose or a resistance or something, there's something inside them that's very discontent about the state of what they believe America should be. Does that make sense? All right, in Christianity, there's a holy discontent. And a holy discontent is where you get discontent about something That God is discontent about, where He puts something in your heart that you want to see change in society. So, for example, when we started Victory, I the Lord asked me, He said, "What are you? What's your holy discontent?" I said, "I have four things that really bother me about the state of society. Number one is the state of the family. I'm really bothered by the state of the family in America." Uh, where so many marriages are not doing well, so many marriages are breaking apart, so many parents don't know how to raise their children in the Lord. Just so many, just so much trouble in American families. And I said that really bothers me. The second thing that bothers me is the state of the church in the community and the fact that for most people, church is a place they go to instead of a lifestyle they live. It's a building instead of a life. It's a location. And I said, I really want to be. I want to see the church be in the community, transforming the community. And the third thing that was holy discontent for me was the segregation of America, the fact that all races who are created equal by God, who God loves them all, still stay segregated in the church. It's still the most segregated hour in America, and that bothers me. It bothers me that we can't seem to break that That segregational mindset in America, we still stay to our own. We still group with ourselves and we don't cross into other people's lives because they're different culture. And then the fourth thing was the state of the world, the fact that the world is in dire need and poverty and and you know we live in a bubble in America we don't really feel the pain of most people that are starving to death or dying of diseases around the world and yet we are here and we get you know we get upset when we don't have the new iPhone or something like that and and while people are waking up every morning not knowing where their next meals coming from so i'm reading through acts chapter 1 verse 8 which is the last words of Jesus and he says the last words are very, very important words you shall receive power after the holy spirit's come upon you And you shall be a witness of me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. He said, you will have four quadrants of impact in the earth. Now, he gave them local places because they could relate to those places, but those were just outlines of the bigger picture of the Great Commission. And the Lord said to me, Jerusalem is your family, Judea is your community, Samaria is another culture, and the uttermost parts of the world is missions. He said, the four things that you're holy discontent about matches the, the, the Great Commission in the Bible. He said, Build your church on those four pillars and I'll put my hand on you. If you build your life on the things that Jesus said that are holy discontents for him, he'll put his hand on you and you can do some things that you never thought you could do in your life. Amen. Amen. So you need to ask the Lord, what is my holy discontent? What is something God has put in my heart that I want to see change, that I want to see. Uh, not be the same anymore. And then finally, the fourth thing is purpose activates through faith in God's power. Now, this is important because uh, there's a prayer where Paul is praying for the church. And here's what he says in Ephesians chapter 1 in verse 17. He says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. So he's saying that that you would know what is the purpose, the eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, that is his purpose, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Now the thing that gets me at my attention there specifically is what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. All right. I think that the majority of people that sit in church today don't really understand the power of the Holy Spirit. I think they don't really understand the how how if they cooperate with the power, they can do things that are way beyond themselves. Way, way beyond themselves. Now now I'm a perfect example of that because because when I was in college I had a speech class and I remember I had to give a speech to about this many people and I was trembling and I, and I was so terrible at speaking that it was just, it was a disaster. I think I got an F because I just couldn't speak publicly. And I remember saying after I walked out of that speech, I will never do that again. That is not something that I can do. And I remember as I got into the church, and then uh, the pastor asked me if I would speak one time to the church in his absence, and I said, <laughs> speak? They, I'm, I'm afraid to even speak to a small crowd, much less a big church. You know that the number one fear, they do, they do a study in America of the fears of people, the number one fear of Americans is public speaking. The, the, the number two fear is death. So what what that means is that that a lot of people would rather be in the casket than the one giving the eulogy. Isn't that something? What if if I call one of you up here to speak publicly? Now some of you would say, okay, I can do that, I'll I'll do it. But some of you would be, be, be so trembling because you'd be afraid of what, that you couldn't do it. And I can't speak publicly in my own Natural abilities. And so I remember when the when he asked me to do this, I said, Well, I had to push through, I had to push through the fear and the intimidation of my lack and just trust in God. God, I have to trust in you that I can do this thing. Now, here's what I know about you. There are gifts and callings in your life, listen to me carefully, that have yet to be released. They have yet to be released in your life. Some of you are sitting there, you're housewives, you're just working a regular job, you're, you're just doing a regular thing, you're going to school or whatever, and you have no context of anything significant or great that's going to happen in your life that God has purposed before you were ever born. And you're going to go through life... And and if you don't tap into the Holy Spirit, you'll never realize this potential that's inside of you. But there is a potential inside this room in your life that if you trust in Him, if you start to trust in God. See, that's what happened here at New Song. You had two people that were that were just working in a church, and God called them to back to Oklahoma City after having three children in their middle stages of life who wants to start a church in that setting there's no promise of finances there's no promise that you're going to show up there's every promise in the world that says you're going to fail because most church starts don't make it but at some point when you step into what God's called you to do it's when he puts his hand on you and it's called the anointing how many of you would like to live in the anointing of God's Spirit. Well, in order to do that, listen to me carefully, in order to fulfill purpose, you're going to have to step out in faith and do some things that you're uncomfortable with, that are not going to be uh, where you know ever how everything's going to turn out. You're going to have to stretch yourself because the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. But he that comes to God must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I want to pray for you this morning. Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment? And I just want to pray that God would start to reveal his purpose in your life. Some of you are here and you've just started your journey with Jesus. And some of you have been going for a while. Maybe you've never entered into the fullness of what God's put you on the earth for. So, Father, my prayer is that today you begin to speak into this congregation. You begin to release a new revelation of what you're calling these people to do. This church is just starting, it's just an infancy, it's just beginning its walk with God. But God, there are some things in this, in this church that you've called them to do here in Oklahoma City and ultimately throughout the world that are going to be tied into the purposes of the people that are in this room. And so, Father, would you begin to begin to open up the eyes of their understanding? what is the calling upon their life and what are the riches of the glory of the inheritance of the saints that's available to them Lord Lord would you begin to reveal to them the mighty power of the Holy Spirit that they can if they cooperate with you that they can begin to operate in the fullness of your anointing I pray over every person here God that there would be an unleashing of your potential and purpose in their hearts And that starting today, God, that they will begin to start focusing on living for purpose instead of living for success. I pray that over this congregation in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.